All right, this morning, we're going to read from Romans, the eighth chapter. And again, we want to bring out the thought that I had this morning. There's two things about us that don't change. Two things. Two things that never change. Okay, the flesh that's in us that we're not of, it never, ever, ever changes. And of course, the positional truth about who we are in Christ is who we are in Christ. That does not change. The two of those never, ever change. This is what makes it so important for us to learn and to understand positional truth. Because until I understand and have been taught thoroughly and for a long time, these particular truths, and we really need to be careful about it. I know in my relationship with other men, we need to be extremely careful about it. And, uh, and that's been a, a, a learning, growth, and conviction in my own life. The two things that don't change. The flesh that's in us that we're not of, but it doesn't change. And then who we are in Christ, that doesn't change. Those are two present realities in our learning, in our growth in grace in Second Peter 3 and verse 18. There is no growth when we function in the flesh. Plenty that we have in Christ. That's why even in chastisement, chastisement, there's not, there's not growth. It's just correction to bring us back to a place where we can begin to grow again. And so that's why so many times we've been taught in the scriptures in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 29, and in many other cases in Job 5 and verse 13, that chastisement not necessarily is their growth, but it's still the prevenient grace and anticipative love of God for us to bring us to a place, to bring us back to a place where we no longer experientially now function in the flesh. It's so subtle. It is so subtle. If I've learned anything and continue to learn that the flesh that's in us, where it came from, from the enemy, and we see it in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, the enemy is subtle. In Genesis 3 and verse 1. He's very subtle. He's very treacherous. And again in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. That Paul being led by the Holy Spirit in his own life. And leading others. Spoke about how subtle and treacherous the enemy is. In the experience when we function in the flesh. We need to be very, very careful, especially men, especially men, because even in teaching, we can be taught certain things, and then it can become a source of joking and foolishness. And to be quite honest with you, in my own conviction about this, that is just, that is just learning things in a declarative state, but then taking it right to the flesh again. And we need to be very, very, very careful of that. All of us, and especially, especially me, and I say in my own life, especially me. Now, Romans 8, 1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is our position. Okay, this is the position. The position, okay, our experience, our true experience is based upon the position. 
a true experience in the flesh is has no truth whatsoever. It's very subtle, very treacherous, because <laughs> when we function in the flesh, we're just functioning again. Remember now, it's not how God sees us. He loves us irregardless of our experience. But what makes the experience so very, very vital in the submission of the will is that we experience how God sees us and how he thinks about us. Remember in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous, meaning God's pure view of us, unchanging view, is who we are in Christ. That doesn't change. That, it never changed. But we need to be very careful through the subtlety of the enemy, how he gets us to exchange who we are in Christ and in, in our experience to the flesh. And boy, when we do, we reduce it right down. We reduce Christ in that same measure. We cannot serve two masters in Matthew 6 and verse 24. We cannot serve it. Now, Again, position is unassailable, cannot touch it, and 1 John 5, 18, the B part. Cannot touch it. And this is why I say it again. This is where we're being taught. The enemy is extremely subtle. See, fellowship with Christ is very, very delicate. It truly and truly is. It's interesting. In Christ, it's, it's an amazing thing to experience that. But we can lose that very quickly. And sometimes it takes quite a while to get back into that particular place. And thank God, his view of us doesn't change. It's just that he has to do a work in us, bringing us back in John 3.30 to the increase that Christ says. But he has to decrease us in that experience, that particular area where there was no growth because there was a source of familiarity, a source of familiarity. And that can happen to any of us, and that place is the place of the flesh. And of all those that need to be most careful, to be most careful, are those that are most taught. Need to be most careful of this, because we can bring it down into the foolishness in Ephesians 5, 3 and 4, the foolishness an absurdity of the flesh. The experience is not the position. And we need to be very careful about that. And this is what it's saying. Now, Romans 8.1 is the position. It's unassailable. It's unchangeable. And here's the reality of the position in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in, G in Christ Jesus and the law, we said there, is a, it's a rule. So, for instance, again, we say, and we see it in Galatians 5 and verse 16, based upon Galatians 5 and verse 24. Walk in the spirit in Galatians 5 verse 16, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't do it. He's speaking to believers there. In Galatians 5 and verse 1, right through to, to verse 16, he's speaking to believers that are taught how careful we must be. Because it's based upon positional reality. That positional reality has to do, in Galatians 5 and verse 24, with the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. We know that the cross, in Galatians 6 and verse 14, the cross teaches us 
that, that God forbids us to glory. And there's a plenty of glory in the flesh, but it has nothing to do with who Christ is in the individual and who the individual is in Christ. And we need not to know, even through the teaching of the word, we must not bring it back down to the flesh where it becomes an issue where there's a lot of familiarity and a lot of foolishness and a lot of fooling around, which it has truthfully, and I mean it honestly, has nothing to do with Christ. We may look to the individual more than Christ, even in the thought of foolishness. Now, Proverbs 24 and verse 9 says, the thought of foolishness is sin. Is God condemning us and accusing us through this counsel? Well, is the flesh who we are? No, it's not who we are. Especially men when we get together, especially because we're, because we're in one form or another, leaders and initiators need to be extremely careful so that we don't make individuals to have more prominence than Christ in us. And that's true for every one of us. True extremely for every one of us. Now for the law or the rule of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus through his cross, so we know that the Holy Spirit now, when we submit to him, we don't submit to the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh simply means this, that I may seek attention. I may want to have prominence in a circumstance, in a situation, or even what they might, might be made known to be a fellowship or a teaching. The law, the rule of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of, spirit, of, of sin and death. Now, where, does the law, where was the law of sin and death taking place? In the old nature. It was the old nature in Romans 6, 1 to 6, crucified. Was it crucified? As far as God's concerned, is it done and over with? It is. That's our position. But what is our experience? This is why God constantly, and I think over for, for a year and a half, at least in Texas, he, he was teaching all, us all about the will and how important it is to constantly submit constantly submit and how easy it is to forget God through the lust of the flesh through again the lust of the eyes this is first John 2:16 and Galatians uh, Genesis 3 and verse 6 the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that has been separated from us in Christ positionally but the enemy wants to bring us back to it in those areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, all based upon the pride of life. So we know that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free, and that's Galatians 5, verse 24. They that are Christ have, past tense, crucified the flesh and all the affections thereof. All those patterns, they're, they're done and over, as far as God's concerned. He just wants to make us equal to who we are in his sight has set me free from what? The law of sin and death. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own sin, son, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning he did not have, as we've been taught, he did not have a sin nature, he had a human nature. That again is brought out in Luke one thirty-five 
John 1 and verse 14, and Hebrews 2, 9 to 18. God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for a sin sacrifice, that's what it says, condemn sin in the flesh. Could he have been a sin sacrifice for sin if he himself had a sin nature? Of course not. Verse 4, what? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh. You see, that's the constant temptation. That's the constant temptation. When we get funny, when we take for granted, when we come together for the word, is it a time of soberness? Thinking clearly, thinking in humility, or is it a time for jesting and kidding when we come together? It's never that. Furthermore, in, in conviction in my own life, that's not fellowship. It ceases to be lifting Christ up. And this is where the subtlety of the enemy in 2 Corinthians 11.3 comes in. That the righteousness of that law might be fulfilled in us who walk on, not after the flesh, not walking under the rule again of the flesh, but separated from that after the spirit. Now here we go. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the Spirit. And what does that mean, the things? This is where we have to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and this is what we're going to see. This is, this is 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen. Remember, we, we just uh, the, the Holy Spirit just brought out the Scriptures in Genesis 3 and verse 6 and 1 John 2 and verse 16. The lust of the flesh... What? The, through what? The lust of the eyes. You see what it says? But as it is written, eye has not seen. I lose sight of my position, of who Christ is in me and who I am in him through the flesh. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard. That means submission. I no longer submit now. If I'm functioning... If I, as an individual, function in the flesh, am I, am I submitted to Christ in that area experientially? Answer is absolutely not. I'm just not. I has not seen, nor ear heard, submitted, nor has entered into the heart of man. And what's the heart speak of? When we talk about the heart, that's the place where we value something the most. That's why it goes into, in Matthew 6 and verse 21, this is what it says, that where your treasure is, what? There will your heart, what you value, be. What you value the most. You, whatever your treasure is, whatever you value the most, your heart is going to be most. Now it says in 6.22 of Matthew, in that same chapter there, Again, it talks about it. If, my, if your eye be single, you see eye here in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, eye is not single. But if your eye be single, and what does it mean to have a single eye? Will I have a single eye in the flesh? Can I have a single eye in the flesh? And in who I am in Christ? Is that a single eye? It's not. 
This goes into our fellowship. This goes into our growth. This goes into the times when we gather for the word. It's to be a very sacred time. It's to be very, very sacred. And there's, a, there's the principle, the ruling principle of God's order. And, it's very, and God considers it to be very sacred, extremely sacred. And you can't have any familiarity in sacredness. You just can't. It's either one or the other. Now, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, neither is entered into the heart of man. So again, in Matthew 6 and verse 22, if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Now this is what it says. And if the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Again, this is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Satan is an angel of light. He can privately interpret the word to you. And I'll tell you how he does it with us. It's in the flesh. He privately interprets it. Then he makes us his minister in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15. And we all, all of us, true, truly need to be very careful. Because how I relate to God individually is how I relate to others. And we can't do it properly without the sacredness and holiness. And, and of course, we're growing. We're growing. And, then, and again, I want to make it clear here. We're growing, all of us. But the clarity of the scriptures through God's counsel is being brought out this morning in a very precise and beautiful way. So if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. If your eye be evil, in 6.23 of Matthew, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if the light that be in you be darkness, how great, how subtle, how treacherous is that darkness. And all of that is in the flesh. Again, flesh is in us, in Romans 8.9, but we're not of it, you see. Now, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve. Serve means worship. You cannot do that. We cannot serve two masters. In Matthew 6 and verse 24, because you will either hate the one and cleave to the other, or hate the other and cleave to one. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now mammon, many have said, it's just money. It's not just money. It is that in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. It can be. It can be that. But it is the God of covetousness. I covet attention. You know, we covet attention in the flesh that has nothing to do with who Christ is. Then we lift up individuals and make them to be of more importance than the very word of God that could be even coming through them. Could be. Could be. Fact of the matter is, fact of the matter is, for us, we need to be very careful. We're not to know any man after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. That starts with us individually. And that means we don't know Christ after the flesh. How would I know Christ after the flesh? I'll tell you, when I function in the flesh, when any of us do. Now we're separated from that in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Old things are not, and this is positional truth in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, old things are not in the process of passing away. They already are. They just need to enter into our growth, our experiential growth. And that has to do with our progressive or growth sanctification in Christ, which is the equal of our position. And that's what Jesus' high priestly prayer was, speaking the reality of what that God would accomplish through him and which he did for each and every one of us in Christ. In John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them in your truth. That means set apart. 
and we are set apart from the flesh in our growth. Or we're not. Or we're not. And then we can make individuals more of more importance than Christ himself in our own individuality. And that has to cease. Because God is not involved in any of it. Now, so again, that word mammon there is, is translated or transliterated over from the Hebrew uh, by the Septuagint into the Greek, into the, into the Koine Greek of which it is there. In, in Matthew 6 and verse 24, it's the God of covetousness. All sins, literally, have their part. In Exodus 20 and verse 17, okay, it, it speaks of covetousness. And we, it can be so subtle. The flesh in us is so subtle, even in giving a word. And that subtlety can make us be the issue. It's not very good. There's where all your comparisons come from. There's where all your favorites come from. That's where all of that stuff comes from. And for, for any of us, and, and again, the flesh is in each of us, but we're not of it. We need to understand that. We need to understand nothing changes God's love about us, ever. He is for us in Romans 8, 31 and Psalm 56 and verse 9. He ever is, but he brings us back to a place to realize in that love that he loves us with is that he is for us, that he is for us, and that everything is for us, like the word is very, very beautifully this morning. So again, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, Eye is not seen, nor ear heard, neither is entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared that love for them that love him. But God, see, but God, that's a separation from the flesh. But God has revealed them unto us by his what? You see, by his spirit where it says that? And that's why we go back to Romans, the eighth chapter, and we can understand what's being taught there through the preponderance of, of the scriptures. Here is Romans 8, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Is the mind of Christ involved there? It is not. Is that our, is that our true position? It is. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded... Minding the things of the flesh is what? It's, it's separation from Christ. There's no fellowship involved. There's none. But to be minding the things of the Spirit brings in true positional truth and true experience. Our life is Christ. It's got nothing to do with the flesh. And as a result, when I function in who Christ is in me, as my very life, what do I experience? The peace that God has himself, the peace that Christ is. I have it now in my experience. Now I have peace. Why? Because the carnal mind, the minding of the flesh is the carnal mind, is hatred, strong, settled thoughts, that enter into feelings of hatred for God. For it is not what? Subject to the law of God. What is the law of God? That's Romans 8, 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has set me free from the law of sin and death positionally. But is that my experience? What is my experience the flesh? Well, then that's what it is. 
in all of its pride, in all of its subtlety, in all of its foolishness. We need, to, we need all to be taught in whatever area we are growing in. The thought of foolishness is sin. It just is in Proverbs 24 and verse 9. God does not give us gifts ever to function and to elevate us or to exalt us in the foolishness of the flesh, but to humble us in his presence. He gives us opportunities to preach and teach the word for what? To humble us personally. Personally, every one of us. And it's very sacred. Those times when we get together, they're very sacred. Because if not, if not, it's some form of the flesh that's entered into the experience. And then we begin to lift up in ourselves the flesh and the flesh of others. And we call it fellowship. And it's not. His love doesn't change for us. He's not accusing us and condemning us here. He's loving us. He's bringing us to an experiential place so that our position where he sees the sin can enter into our experience. Then we can have fellowship. Then we have fellowship. It's a very sacred thing. Very, very sacred. And we're to do it in God's order, in the specific order that he gave us to do it. And it's not to change. Well, because the carnal mind, the minding of the flesh, is hatred, strong, settled thoughts and feelings of hatred for God, it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, how would we be? Positionally? No, experientially. What? Cannot experience the pleasure of God that he has for that individual who's in Christ. Very, very subtle. The flesh that's in me, that's in me, Ed, is very, very subtle. Very treacherous. Built upon a lie. In John 8, verse 44. There's no truth in, in the lie, is there? And that's, that's the flesh. There's no truth in it at all. So as we wrap this up this morning here, this is what it says. But as it is written... Eye has not seen, hasn't seen it. Again, he's bringing in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, but in a much deeper, more intimate way. As eye has not seen or ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. See, there's the things of the flesh in constant competition with the things of Christ in the individual. The flesh Lust against the spirit, Galatians 5, verse 17. And the spirit against the things of the flesh. So that you cannot do the things that you really want to do. You just can't do it. It's a very sacred thing. It's a very sacred thing when we get together in fellowship. I don't care. I don't care where it is or how it is. When we get together, God considers it a very sacred thing that his son has accomplished and given us this, that place to do it. Because we're two or three, and again, in Matthew 18, 20, we're two or three are gathered together in his name, not someone else's name, how they preach or how we get into all these other things that don't have a thing to do with Christ. It's very, 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 very subtle. And God wants, to, wants us because he's not going to share his glory, the glory of his son, with any of us in the flesh. Not going to do that. 
Not, he's not going to use someone else in the flesh. I don't care if they're a teacher. I don't care if they taught us for years. He's not going to use that to bring glory to himself. It's Isaiah 42 and verse 8. He will not share the glory of his son with anybody. I don't care who it is. He's not going to do it. He won't do it. But those things, listen, this is what it says, has God has prepared for them that love him. And how do we know? We know that God loves us. John 3, 16, 1 John 4, 10, 1 John 4, 19, and on and on and go. We know that God loves us. How do we know that we love God? It's through obedience. It's through obedience. Is there any obedience in the flesh? I'll tell you what it's called. It's called delayed obedience. There's areas in our flesh where we delay obedience because we prefer the flesh over Christ, all of us. But God and his love for us, having to do with the height and satisfaction of his son and what he accomplished to him in propitiation and has become our substitute thereby to reconcile us. And this reconciliation is taking place in our progressive sanctification, being separated in areas of the flesh constantly through the preaching and teaching of the word in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul, functioning in the flesh, from the spirit. Goes right into that. And it even goes into the sacrifice that Christ was. He was a pure sacrifice, cut up. There was no defect at all in any part of the sacrifice. There's no defect in who we are in Christ. None. Not at all. Boy, how much God loves us this morning is amazing. But God has revealed them unto us by what? His spirit. And the flesh lusts against the spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 17. And the spirit against the flesh has passions so that you cannot do the things that you desire to do. This all has to do with the sacredness of our growth. All has to do with that. Because the Spirit searches all things. Yea, what is that? The deep things of God. See, the enemy doesn't want the deep things of God to enter into our experience, into the depth of his love and what he's, what he's done about who we are in Christ, based upon who Christ is and what he's done. And I want that. And it's the flesh that gets in the way. It's the flesh. Yea, the deep things of God. You see... We all have these areas in our growth that are called strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Areas where we're held strongly in areas of the flesh, where we just don't want the word to penetrate into the depth, into the root of those particular things that are, that are in us. Yeah, it's one thing to chop level ground to chop the uh, get rid of the weed but you haven't got rid of the roots god is after the roots and this is because he wants to reveal the deep things to us and they're very sacred and they're very pure they're pure you can't mix it there's no mixing of the flesh with the spirit one is against the other the other is against the other see god is not against the flesh because the flesh isn't who we are he's not you want, want to make this crystal clear no one's the enemy. God is not against a single person that's listening to this. Hopefully we're receiving it by grace because that's the only way we could. We're not it's God's enemy. This isn't accusatory or condemnatory at all. 
It's God's precious counsel in, in the depth of his desire for the deep things of Christ to reach us in terms of our fellowship, our depth of fellowship with him. So as we wrap this up this morning, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? You see, we're different than all of God's creation, literally. We have a spirit. He, didn't, he created animals, animals, as dichotomous. They have a soul and a body. We, we are created in the image of God in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and in Genesis 5, 1 and 2. We're created in the image of God, spirit, soul and body. Spirit, soul, and body. And the spirit must take precedence over the soul. And when it does, then that, then the spirit in the soul takes precedence over all those lusts that are in the body. And instead of using the body for ourselves, for fleshly wants and fleshly things, we use it. We use it as a weapon against all those things. We use it for Christ. Because even our bodies are not our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Our body now is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And there's where the flesh from the enemy seeks to get in and, and, and lust its patterns and live in the patterns of the lust of the flesh against the Spirit from revealing to us the, the depth of God's love, how deep it is. It's incredible. We see that in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. For what man knows the things of a man, except save the spirit, except the spirit of a man, even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. He's the interpreter of the word. He doesn't need my flesh or anyone else's to do it. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world. When we're in the flesh, that's the spirit of the world. But the spirit which is of God that we might know, experience the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, fleshly wisdom, and calling it fellowship, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not. Who's the natural man? That's the flesh. Is that who we are? We see, we, do we really receive anything there? But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Take it for granted, you know, I will get together again. <laughs> no, not at all. We need to be very careful, especially leaders. And I do mean especially older men especially us older men, need to be extremely careful about the example that we give to others. Because it can enter into truths, beautiful truths can enter and be lowered right back into the flesh. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, experience them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual discerns all things. There's a brokenness, a submission of the will. Yet he himself is discerned of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. That's, what it, that's, what it, that's the thing that instructs us. And that's why 
God's order, no matter where we are, no matter where, where we're located, there's an order of submission in how things should be done. And, and, and it's not a matter of joking or kidding or anything. They're to be done precisely because that's God's given order. That's his given order uh, for us. And we need to follow that precisely so that the subtlety of the flesh that's in us that we're not of doesn't enter into the experience. In other words, that thing doesn't become competition against Christ's love for us at that very moment. Because life is made up of moments that reveal who we trust. Who we trust. And God loves us. And he sends this beautiful, experiential, beautiful, precise counsel because he loves us very precisely. Very precisely. And the enemy is so subtle. So subtle. And the subtlety that he, all he wants to do is get us in the flesh. And boy, when he does, experientially, we're no longer serving our true master. We're no longer doing that. Now, does that mean that God doesn't love us? Does it mean that he's changed his mind? Does it mean that we're his enemy? Does it mean that he's accusing us? Or is he loving us right back into a proper place? Because that's precisely what it is. He loves us deeply, each and every single one of us. And his desire is that there'd be no competition with Christ. The, the Holy Spirit will not be in competition. He just will not be with the flesh. He'll bypass it. And that means we can miss the deep things, the depth of his love for us. And God doesn't want us to miss it. That's why he gives us the counsel. That's why even chastisement, even chastisement, when the will is not submitted, it's still prevenient grace loving us <laughs> flowing through grace love throwing through through grace and acting in the wisdom of who Christ is even when we haven't submitted to it yet that's chastisement there's no growth in chastisement but chastisement brings me back to a place where I can continue to grow in the depth of his love for me and in others and it keeps out those dead flies from the medicine the apocryphary that Christ is, Ecclesiastes 10.1. So, Father, we thank you so much for your loving, deep, loving counsel. And I mean for each of us, and I do mean it for me, first and foremost. Thank you for your loving chastisement and correction in my life, Lord. And how you were teaching me. You taught me yesterday. You're teaching me through the night. And you taught me this morning that the flesh in me never changes until we see Christ face to face. But that you use that flesh to constantly keep us humble. Otherwise, we would not be. We would take what you would give us and lift ourselves up immediately. And God forbids, in Galatians 6, verse 14, that we should do it. It's his love that forbids us to do it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.